Welcome to the Business of Nonprofits podcast, where we enable candid discussions of nonprofit business transformation. I'm your host, Stacey Lund. Let's get started. Brought to you by TGR Management Consulting. Hello, you're listening to the Business of Nonprofits. We are talking today to San Diego Youth Symphony. That is an organization that has been focused on arts education here in San Diego for the past 75 years. With me today is President and CEO, Dr. Michael Remsen. Thank you, Michael, for joining us. It's a super pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about your nonprofit because San Diego Youth Symphony, I know when we first thought about doing this, a certain thing came to mind, a certain sort of persona and culture. Well, you and everybody else, right? That's really leads right into our discussion for today. So I've been here in my role at SDYS for almost four years now. And what I always like to say, kind of one of the first things that I coined when I got here and I met people and people would say, well, tell me about SDYS. Usually one of the first things I say is, well, we're not your mama's youth orchestra, right? Because we're a much larger and more complex organization than that. And so often I'll be somewhere or I'll, you know, I'll go to a conference and I've got my, you know, my nice shiny name tag on that says San Diego Youth Symphony. And somebody will say, oh, San Diego Youth Symphony. Well, tell me how many young people are in the orchestra, right? And I have to immediately start into kind of a conversation about, well, we're actually a much larger and more complex organization than that. And yes, we have a traditional youth orchestra program, just like many youth orchestras around the country, but we have 13 youth orchestras and bands. Uh, We serve over 600 students every year in those programs. And we run the full gamut from beginners who never held an instrument before, all the way through students who've been playing for a number of years and have reached, you know, a pretty high level of proficiency uh, on their instruments. But over and beyond that, we do a lot more than just run a traditional, well, and I should say that is our flagship program. That is the program that has now been around for more than 75 years. But we also have other programs that we do. And we have a program that is called the Opus Project that is really, instead of partnering with individual families, seeks to partner with schools and school districts and community groups. And it was created about 15 years ago by my predecessor to restore and enhance music education programs in schools. Anybody who's been in California for any length of time knows that Prop 13 back in the late 1980s which did wonders for people's property taxes because they put a cap on the property taxes in the state of California, but it decimated our education system. And specifically, it decimated lots of what are considered ancillary programs. And of course, all fine arts are considered ancillary programs. And so music programs took a real hit in the state of California. And now, almost 40 years later, you're looking at almost two generations that have gone through a K through 12 education in the state of California without really receiving the benefit of involvement in the fine arts. And so SDYS and many other organizations around the state of California have really sought to change that. And so we started the Opus Project 15 years ago, specifically partnering with one school district, the largest elementary school district in California to restore and bring back music education. And we started with two after-school programs And of course, all the predictable markers changed, right? Test scores went up, parent engagement went up, grades went up, attendance went up, and all of those things happened. And OPUS really changed a system in this school district. And so 
Back 15 years ago, in 47 elementary schools, there were no fine arts. And now today, in 47 elementary schools, there is fine arts in every single one of those campuses, including 20 full-time music programs that are going on. And we still have eight after-school programs that run on those campuses. So, so Opus changed a system that was nationally recognized. And now we're at the stage where we are adapting, scaling, and replicating Opus and other school districts around San Diego County. It's very exciting, and it's changing lives. So talk a little bit more about, you know, you had the San Diego Youth Symphony name, and I remember you're laughing, right? It's not your mom's symphony, but it kind of, that's what does come to mind. It's absolutely what comes to mind. Yeah, a church basement, like with an auditorium. Wealthy families who can afford music lessons and kids who play at a very high level. I mean, all of those things, it brings up a, a very stereotyped image. And my organization and many others too. I've really worked to change that. But the name itself, and, and we're talking about branding today, right? The name itself is really a limiter in so many ways, right? Every aspect of that name, San Diego Youth Symphony, is a limiter. San Diego is a limiter, right? Because it stops us from doing anything beyond San Diego. Even our program, the Opus Project in Chula Vista, is, well, it's not San Diego. Youth is a very nebulous word in a lot of ways that a lot of people don't really even use anymore. If you ask 10 different people what youth means, you'd get 10 different answers. And so that's a complex problem. And then symphony is, of course, conjures up a very specific image, one that is related to privilege, of course, one that is related to a certain style of music, one that is related to certain instruments of music. So the whole name represents a problem. But at the same time, I also have 78 years of brand equity in San Diego Youth Symphony. And it's a cherished and beloved program that 78 years of children and families have grown up in and dedicated their lives to, and you know, that families have trusted us in. So there is equity in that brand that we don't want to lose, but it can't be the thing that defines the whole organization. And the truth is, is it shouldn't be because if we keep trying to stretch the brand, into other things, you run into a problem around brand diffusion on some levels at the same way. And especially like during the pandemic, these last couple of years, we've been expanding our programming even further. Like I have an early childhood program now that's for families with children ages zero to five. That's a program that's about speech and language development and school readiness and fine and gross motor skills, all using music as the vehicle for those things. It's called Chimes. And San Diego Youth Symphony is an imprimatur for it. It's like families like being a part of it. They go, oh, well, this is great. This is a pathway for us. I can get my little ones started in it. And then eventually they might join a program like San Diego Youth Symphony. But they see themselves as Chimes families. I stop by a class and a mom might say, oh, hi, we're this Chimes family. We're in Chimes Wednesdays at 1030. Like they identify themselves that way to me, not as a San Diego Youth Symphony family. So if I keep trying to call that San Diego Youth Symphony, then I'm just stretching the brand even more, right? So we as an organization, we were confronted with the fact that we needed a new way to look at who we were and more importantly, express who we were, right. express the changing organization to you and to our donors and just to the broader community to help them understand that we're a lot more than that now and that we are capable of partnering with organizations in very different and unique ways. Can I indulge you in one quick story on what that looks like? I'd love to hear it, but I just want to interrupt. It feels like a almost like a Facebook meta. It is. Right. You're you're bigger than the original brand ever. 
Right, because Facebook is is Facebook, right? And people associate that brand, but Meta is Facebook and Instagram and the other things that they're doing. And that was very much the approach we took to branding it. So short story, and then I'll tell you how we started the journey down the branding. So there is a, a wonderful program here in San Diego called the Monarch School, which is the school for our unhoused children and their families, right? And I met some of the people through there and I said, I think we could help you. But they're looking and saying, San Diego Youth Symphony, how are you going to help us? And I basically, you know, it put me two steps back when I walked in there to kind of explain to them who we were and how we could really could effectively partner with them. And they were saying to themselves, one of the things that's part of their new strategy is to reach out to families even before they have children who might be in the program, like because they're K through 12. And you know, once I got in there and could talk to them, our early childhood program, which is for ages zero to five, really was a vehicle for helping them reach out to families even before they have children who would ultimately attend the Monarch School. And it's been a wonderful relationship that we've built with them over the last year. But when I walked out with the fine arts coordinator, she said, if you'd asked me to be looking for a partner to help us achieve this strategic goal that we had, I would have never thought of San Diego Youth I would have never called you because I would have never thought that that's who you were. So despite all our best intentions, despite all the wonderful things that my amazing hardworking team is doing to build these amazing programs, in some ways, we're kind of our own worst enemy in terms of communicating what it is we're trying to get out there and who we're trying to be and what it is we're trying to tell the community we're ready to do or we're stepping up and we're ready to partner with you to do in San Diego and beyond. Yeah, I could see that because you do have this heavy brand, right? And if I were looking for kind of a grassroots, feet on the ground, flexible and adaptable program, my first thought would not be something with the, the levity of that name. So you came in about what, five years ago? When this has aired, I will have celebrated my four-year anniversary. Okay. So you came in and you sort of assessed everything and, and this is where you landed. And now you're talking about changing an established brand, right? It's Twinkies, right? It's Hostess. You're changing an established brand, especially in San Diego. So what do you do? So I've been through this once before in a prior role. So I kind of knew, I mean, and I had some ideas about it. And this organization had looked at a rebranding at 1.2. And I think my predecessor who had tried to do this, right idea, right vision, wrong timing. I think it was too early to kind of start the process. And we had to kind of look at it in two ways. It's a very complex branding problem. The first element of this is to recognize that nonprofits are different animals when it comes to it, that it's not Twinkies. But nonprofits are very, very different beasts. People invest their heart and soul into nonprofit work. There is a, a huge emotional investment. My staff and teaching artists are, are amazing people who are very emotionally invested in this organization. Donors are very emotionally invested in this organization. My families and parents and my students, you know, my alumni, right? So I've got all very, very emotionally invested stakeholders. So whatever that process was going to be, we had to be sure <laughs> that we acknowledged them, that we informed them, and that we listened to them. And that we did it on a kind of a regular basis, kind of took them on the journey with us, if you will, so that they felt part of the process. And it doesn't mean we have to enact every suggestion that they have, but it does mean we have to at least go, thank you for those suggestions. Thank you for those ideas. Thank you for sharing with us. Even if you don't like something, it helps us to, to know those things, right? So what they want the most isn't for us to take their ideas. They want to feel that they've been heard. They want us to honor 
the commitment that they have made to us. You know, I, I say frequently that for a parent and a child to come to us and to say, teach us, teach us to be a part of this is an extraordinary act of trust. And I tell parents this all the time that we know you're doing this with us. Like we're aware of this. So it's, it's to honor that. That's the kind of the first thing. The second piece that one of the basic premises that we started with this on was to acknowledge the fact that we've got these great brands people are already invested in. So the solution was not to get rid of the brands. We've got to keep these brands and to let them snap back to what they were to begin with. Because when I first got here, they were already very stretched and my staff was very frustrated that they were being stretched over to do these things. And, you know, in my first year, I still wasn't fully understanding what, how all of that was working. And they were more and more frustrated that you're pushing this to mean something it isn't. And I'm like, okay, help me understand how this gets back, right? And so then as we began the branding process, we realized that the answer was to create a larger brand, right? That if we're growing and we're going to continue to grow because that's what we're hoping to do, right? We're piloting our newest program, like as we speak, just started piloting two months ago. So we not only needed a home for our existing brands, we needed a home that would allow for the introduction of new brands and that every existing brand needed a logical place inside that new home. So for months, we walked around just calling it mega brand, like while we were trying to figure out what were the qualities that mega brand needed to embody in some ways. And we brought in a branding consultant, you know, who were marvelous because wonderful expertise on my team and on my board. I have quite a few marketing people on my board, but I think it was, you know, really, really important to bring in outside help because you need that somebody outside, be that voice of authority and say, you know, the way that the experts do it is X, because if it was all left internally, there'd be too much internal challenging. And so, so we brought in an outstanding consultant who were amazing and we we're super happy with who pushed us and who got us to really think about these things. And who took us through a process of clarifying what each of our existing kind of sub-brands, the brands that people knew and loved, what were the unique qualities of each of those that people loved and wanted to be? And then what were those qualities that we wanted to imbue to take up with us into Mega Brand? What did we want Mega Brand to stand for? And more importantly, what do we not want it to stand for? And we went through several exercises of carefully and cautiously being sure that we were very clear with ourselves what to do and what not to do, right? Like where this was concerned. And then they went away and they eventually came up with, I think, a list of over 200 names that we could think through. And then they did a whole process where they winnowed them all down. Eventually, they came back to us with six, which I thought was pretty amazing, right? And each one had a rationale. Each one had, you know, a very clear thought process through it. And they started with just me and my marketing director. It was just the two of us was that very first presentation, just to kind of start with us. We had a subcommittee that was made up of a few board, a few staff, everything. They went to that group. Then we went to my executive committee. Then it went to my board. Then it went to my staff. Then we had some, a small stakeholder group. Everybody went through that process of six, but we changed that presentation to kind of lead everybody to the one that we liked the most, you know, in the end. But we took everybody through the process of six because we felt it was really important for them to understand the discarding process as much as, because if we just said, here it is, like it, that wasn't going to work. But you're hitting on it, right? You're literally like getting feedback from your stakeholders and your constituents, right? That's why they had to be involved in the process. 
So you're bubbling it up. You're picking the qualities you want and don't want. And then you're bringing it back down and you're saying this is a group, not that everyone has an equal vote, but this is where we landed. Here are our choices, help along the way. That's so critical. It was essential on doing this. And so, you know, so essentially, so I'll share with you like one of the finalists. It was actually our consultant's favorite one before I share with you with which ours was. So they've created something of a portmanteau from the word first and chair. And they created it like as one word, first chair. And, you know, we looked at it. And we liked it. We're like, oh, this is kind of cool. First chair. It's got this buzz to it. It speaks to accomplishment. Got the buzz of orchestra. It's got all these things. And we really liked it. And it was kind of the last one to get the axe. But there were also a couple of issues with it, right? So one was that it was too orchestra, right? And we're an organization that's evolving beyond that. I've got an early childhood program. My parents in my early childhood program, yes, they would like their children to aspire to be an orchestra, but they don't know what that is at this point. So first to them... Right. doesn't mean anything, right? The other thing too is we felt that, you know, if anything, maybe, you know, some of the events of the pandemic with everything that went on with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion, this emphasis on equity, a lot of youth orchestras are turning and saying to themselves, we have to be more about emphasizing the team and not emphasizing individual accomplishment. And I think it's changing the way a lot of youth orchestras are operating. And we're like, does this send the wrong message to name ourselves after the kid who is wins the first chair? Does that sound wrong? You know, if it had been 10 years ago, we might have gone with it. But it's just a different time now. And we had to say, you know, it's not the right name for now. It was a cool concept and we liked it, but we decided against it. And another thing, too, with names is, is something I took everybody through was the idea of we, we actually got a bunch of names that were all new medications that are being put through the patent office right now, because we wanted to show people that a brand is what you infuse it with, right? A new name only means as much as what you infuse it with, and that we could go this route, like we could make up something like Latuda or whatever these silly names are that all these medications have. But it would be all us to put the new name into it. And we just thought, well, that's silly. We're not going to do that. And you have to recognize that anything that has words that people already know, like first chair, there's going to be some baggage with this. And so it's our job to pass the baggage by and to do this. So we we ultimately ended up going with the name Keynote. And we stole the first chair portmanteau idea. When they presented Keynote to us, it was just the one word Keynote. And what we did was we actually turned it into a portmanteau of the two words, key and note. So we capitalize the N in the keynote because now it's actually two musical words, key, like the musical key and note, a musical note. And at first everybody went, well, is it too much like a keynote speech? Like, are people worried about that? Or there's also the Apple software keynote that nobody uses anymore. Keynote is kind of a common word, but we've decided that we like that it is a well-known word and that we're putting a fresh spin on it by doing the portmanteau. And we like that it does kind of send an idea of importance that the keynote is a central way of thinking about things, but that beyond that, we can infuse it with all the meaning that we want to infuse it with. You know, And so now we, we're spending a lot of time talking about things like how to position Keynote, especially because San Diego Youth Symphony is our best known brand. So when you see Keynote by itself, and at least initially it'll be Keynote, home of San Diego Youth Symphony. Like you're going to see that for three years at least, right? Yeah, nice. So that we're always infusing the Keynote brand with our best known brand. In other contexts, you may see other brands there. And when you see San Diego Youth Symphony or the Opus Project or Chimes or our newest program, which is called Music Discovery, you will see, so to say like Music Discovery, 
part of the keynote music education family, right? And we're using the word family very specifically to send out the family messages, et cetera, et cetera. So they'll always work in tandem with each other. And even just working out that language has taken a couple of months. Like that's been a weird like lesson in this whole thing is just honing in to very short, specific language. You know, like my marketing director, I'm stealing her language here, but I'm crediting her, likes to say, you know, simplify the message and repeat often. And it, it is the marketing mantra, right? But to get it down to something so simple is really hard. <laughs> So getting there. The other thing too is that, you know, one of our strategic pillars has been the idea of we're a cradle to college provider. In our Chimes program, we've got babies who are six weeks old, all the way up to kids who are 18 when we send them off to college. And the music discovery program actually that we launched this year is filling in the last gap of that five to seven-year-olds that we didn't have any programming for. The fulfillment of that strategic pillar for us. So actually what under Keynote, the tagline is cradle to college music education. And so that way we're filling that in and we're hammering home our strategic pillar and we're reminding people that everything that we're about is about music education and for children, for families. And we're just hammering that home over and over and over again. So those will be out there on everything that goes out for the next two years easily. Just to get to where you are now, how long has it taken to go from like, I think something's you know not quite right and we should take some steps to this, which I feel like is you're ready to launch and get it out there. 18 months. That's a lot of work in 18 months. It was a ton of work. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of work from the first moment that the first committee sat down with our consultant. And then the last kind of piece, the stroke of genius of it was our branding company, the consultants created a mark, right, for us. And your listeners can go to our website and they'll be able to see it. And what it is, is it's it's kind of, it looks a little bit like a target and it's got a musical note in the center. So I'm going to show it to you so you can see it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's like a little, it's kind of a little target and it's got a note in it. And as you can see, what we're doing is we're replacing the O in keynote with the mark. And so the genius stroke of this to me is what we're doing now to help the brand cohesion is we're using the mark in every name that we have. The O in San Diego Youth Symphony will be replaced with the keynote mark or in Music Discovery or in the Opus Project. So the an O in each of those logos. Now we don't have an O in Chimes, so we have to come up with something else. But with everything else, an O will be replaced with the mark. And so that way we're tying all the sub-brands together with a visual mark and a visual element. Each sub-brand has its own color scheme, logos that it works with, but the mark will be the visually unifying element to tie it all together. You should do the eye, the eye dot. Yeah, we thought of that. That was going to be my big contribution, everyone. It's too small. The Chimes logo also has like some mallets in it. And we were thinking of that. But as soon as it gets sm too small, you lose the definition as the problem. So yeah, absolutely. You guys who are listening, you have to check out these logos. These are really cool. And it's a great idea. And I think if you have a longstanding brand, you really do have to think about your brand reach. And are you trying to do too much almost with too few words? And also, honestly, if you're going to do the work, Take the time to look at the bias that you might be sort of unintentionally putting out there. And I think it was very intentional every step that you took to get 
to where you are now. Well, and we were really lucky for our 75th, which was fairly close to, to when COVID hit and when I got here, we were already talking about that we kind of knew that this process was going to begin. And our the logos at that point, well, they were all very dated and they were all very different from each other for the existing programs. And so for our 75th anniversary, we went through something of a logo harmonization that my marketing director recommended. It was genius stroke on her part. And what we did was we harmonized all the fonts and everything so that we would be kind of ready for this moment. And it made it easier to then introduce the mark into all those harmonized logos. And it doesn't mean that they won't change down the road, but for right now, when we need visual cohesion, and again, your listeners, you know, by the time this airs, our website will be through a partial redo uh, for this. They'll be able to see that. And then what it does is it sets a platform for us to then spring forward from later if we want to kind of start adjusting the logos. But right now, we need that visual cohesion for the keynote launch and then for all the sub-brands to look and feel connected to them. And then, you know, a couple of years down the road, we can see where that takes us. Awesome. All right, Michael, thanks so much for joining us. And thank you so much for the work you do. I never really thought much about San Diego Youth Symphony one way or the other, right? I just, we're not the kind of people who go to the symphony in my house, but I will tell you the programs that you've been talking about, I'm definitely going to check out and learn more. Where, if a listener wants to donate or find out more, give us your website. SDYS.org is the current website, and then that will evolve going forward, but it'll always redirect. So, Mm -hmm. because... It's been there for a long time. And I invite people to come and visit any of our programs. And we still rehearse in iconic Balboa Park uh, every weekend. And our many of our rehearsals are open to the public and people can come and uh, you can always hear the kids rehearsing on Saturdays and Sundays in Casa del Prado in Balboa Park. And you can always walk upstairs and poke your nose in and just see the magic, you know, see how we're changing kids' lives one rehearsal at a time. That's awesome. All right. So for our listeners, we hope you enjoyed hearing about San Diego Youth Symphony's branding journey. Please be sure if you listened to this and you liked it, subscribe or leave us a review. And if you have a suggestion or would like to be a guest, please contact us at podcast at tgrmanagementconsulting.com. On behalf of my awesome producer, Sam Beck, and I will see you next time. Michael, thanks so much for joining us again. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hello, my name is Tiffany Rosick, CEO of TGR Management Consulting. We help you do good work better.